lovely notes of Giuseppe Verde mean it's time for another edition of Syria Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast on Calcio at the highest level. I'm Frank Ravello. Glad you've uh, clicked on and gotten stuck in with us again. Uh, just because Serie A took a break doesn't mean we have to, and I'll bring in my co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How's it going this morning? Uh, yeah, more. We're doing a morning recording. We usually do an evening recording, and I have a couple of beers sitting by me. And uh, uh, but uh, no beers you know, today. Now huh? Well, no, it's it's water and, and Gatorade and <laughs> rehydrating. Still recovering from this uh, uh, this awful bout of bronchitis that I've had over the last week and a half. But uh, I've gotten my voice back in time to do this pod again. Passed the late fitness test once again. Thank you, Milan Lab. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, ready to rock. Ready to uh, you know, ready to uh, talk a little Napoli. Are you ready to talk a little Napoli today? Absolutely. Teams turning into season. turning into every Calcio fan's second favorite team. Uh, in reality, and uh, we we can't find you. You're not going to find anyone better to talk Napoli than this man. He's the founder and host of the Sempre podcast. Uh, we say ciao to James McGee. James, how are things? Ciao, guys. Thanks for having me on again. How are we? Uh, we're good. We're yeah, uh, yeah. you know uh, we always uh, we always this, this time of year the uh, the Serie A you, you get all excited. I, I wrote it in my blog. This week, you get in a nice lather. We got two games in. We're all excited, and then boom, we got the international break. To me, the dumbest. <laughs> to me, the dumbest break on the calendar. Um, We're doing better but, than uh, Ventura is today. I know that. <laughs> I would. I would agree with that. Uh, he had a. He had a pretty bad day, uh, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. We're also going to uh, uh, recap the transfer season, the Mercato. Uh, give you who we think did well, who did not so well. Um, uh, but before we start all that, we're going to uh, get into it with James and talk Napoli. Last week, uh, we were we spotlighted Roma. This week, it's Napoli. We're gonna, you know, do this over the course of the next few weeks. Is uh, you put a spotlight on each club and uh, you know have a little bit more of a detailed discussion about them. So, um, James, I was saying earlier, I said Napoli's starting to turn into. Um, Every Italian football fan's second favorite team, just <laughs> with the way they play. I tweeted when they were playing Nice in the Champions League playoff that uh, uh, it's August and they're already in midseason form. I mean, uh, comment on the start to the season for Napoli because to you, this is just Napoli doing Napoli things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that that was what it was about, Frank. You know, it was really about us just taking that momentum from last season. We all know that since the the Madrid games where we were knocked out of Europe that there seemed to be this switching mentality where we weren't afraid of going to certain grounds and trying to impose our style on the play and, and, and get a result. Most importantly, you know, we've been to the San Siro, been to the Olympico, given a good account of ourselves at the J Stadium. And it was just about, you know, keeping that unbeaten form, that momentum going into the new season. And, and with the summer break and, you know, players go away, they have a good time, they you know, they come back. And, and fair play to a lot of our players, they did come back two weeks early, which I think set, the mentality, you know, it just shows the guys are really serious about this campaign. There's been the talk of the Scudetto Pact that's been made this season about all the players wanting to stay together. And I think it's really heartening to see that first half against Atalanta uh, last week aside, yeah, yeah. Um, that we do seem to have kicked on pretty much where we left off against Sampdoria back in May. James, you know, um, last season what Napoli did offensively, um, it was just magical because they're they're so fluid. They're able to attack with 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 relentlessness, really. Um, but you know, everyone was pretty much in agreement this year that you know, in order to make that next step, 
they needed contribution not only from the front three that currently plays there, but also Milik has to you know insert himself as a number nine, especially for big games when the you need a taller uh, taller center forward. Uh, talk about how what what Napoli needs to do and what you've seen so far from Milik and Napoli uh, that 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 you feel is heading in the right direction. Yeah, well, with with Milik coming back in, he's he's had a great preseason. You know, and I know we didn't play the, the greats of opposition. You know, we had get you know right. like Trento, and you know, we did have the the games against Espanyol as well, the last kind of home build up game, and you know Milik and those kind of warm up games, he, he did look he did look good. He was looking looking to part, scoring goals, and then he came in against Nice, and there was that chance at the you know at the San Paolo in the first leg, and only Eric Milik knows how he missed that um, six yards <laughs> out. It's I'm, I'd, I was out my seat. I'd cheered already. I thought it was in, and he's completely fresh here. Swiped at it and missed. And fair play to him. The following week, you know, we we go away to Hellas Verona to start the Serie A season, yeah. and he has a, a beautiful first time finish um, with his weaker foot, his right foot across the goalkeeper into the far corner. Um, and he's for, for us. We spoke about this on on Sempre as well. Is that Milik in pre season has come back? You know, we call him the, the young lion. You see him being referred to. He does have that hunger about him, and you know, it is interesting the fact that Sari has stayed with Mertens. And to be fair, he's it would be madness for a manager to change such a prolific front three. But Milik's a good option to have. He's a different player to Mertens. But yep. I think this season we're, we're going to see a lot of variety. I mean, Adam Ounas has come in as well. He's he's looked really good. Again, not the greatest opposition he's been up against, but who he has played against, he's, he's a kind of different type of player on the right side to Cali Hon. You know, Cali Hon tends to go maybe as far as the 18-yard line, will look to check back, maybe beat a man and, and kind of put an in-swinger, whereas Ounas seems to be the kind of more dare I say, classic British winger style. He likes to kind of head down, takes on some guys, get to the byline, kind of whip it in low or, or kind of float it to the back post. So it's a different option. I mean, if, if Insigne needs a rest, we've got Mertens can revert back to his left-hand side of the front three. Yeah. That would let that would let Milik play through the middle. So, I mean, last season, a lot of our strength came from that midfield three was so interchangeable. You know, we had the, what we call the classic, which is your Jorginho... Alan and Hamshik, but you've still got Rog, Diawara, yeah. and Zielinski that can come in, and those three players are almost a like for like swap for each of the three main guys. So there's we had that diversity in midfield between having six guys for the three, and now with Milik back at full fitness and Ounas coming in, and don't forget we've kept Jacarini, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he's an option. There's a lot of you know, different versions of that front three that can get played as well, and all of them are extremely potent. Seemingly a deeper team, uh, you know, than what we've seen from from Napoli here in the last couple of seasons. At least when when you take a look at the when you take a look at the talent, uh, and when you take a look at the options, as you just explained, James. Uh, the uh, we actually the the preview pod we did we're very split on who's going to win the scudetto. Uh, you had. Three folks, three people are, including Richard, has, has said Napoli is going to win it this season. Um, <laughs> we've we've said that um, it's you know it would be a shame to see this Napoli play this beautiful football and not win any silverware. Now, mm-hmm. um, my concern here with Napoli when I look at them is uh, the one thing that really inhibits them, and that I don't you know 
There's talk that uh, doing almost nothing at all in the transfer window was probably the best thing Napoli did. You mentioned Unas, you mentioned you know, Mario Rui coming in. Mm. Uh, but uh, the thing that inhibits them for me is set-piece defending, and it showed up again in the Atalanta game. It showed up in the uh, last 16 of the Champions League against Real Madrid. Mm. Uh, you know, in those situations, I made the comment in our live uh, transfer deadline um, uh, pod with World Football Index that, you know, and, and – don't take this the wrong way, but when, when Napoli defends set pieces, it's Koulibaly and nine little boys. Um, <laughs> not not it, far off. Yeah. So how concerned are you that, you know, while it's a good thing that they did, they did nothing in the transfer window, that it's probably a bad thing that they also did nothing in the transfer window to address, those, to, to address that area? Mm. Uh, we're certainly the kind of, you know, the, the, the two-face of Serie A. You know, it's on on the one hand we've got this fantastic mercato where we've kept Insigne and we've extended his deal with no release clause. We've kept a, a hold of Mertens. Obviously, he's got the clause next year, but he's a year older. Um, but on the flip side, you've also got that the defence hasn't been touched. And and you're absolutely spot on, Frank. Um, when it comes to set pieces, if Koulibaly is posted missing or it misses him out completely, then we are vulnerable. You've seen it. Um, with the, the goal of Atalanta got, you know, as, we, as you said, the Champions League, Sergio Ramos was unchallenged, although he's he's a phenom when it comes to, you know, set pieces anyway. But yeah. um, it is the, the kind of flip side that we we have this debate on, on Sempre as well. And it's the goalkeeping situation, you know, Pepe Reina. Do we need a better goalkeeper technically on the field? Yes. But off the field in the dressing room, I think he brings too much to the whole package of what Napoli's about. You know, we talked about the Scudetto Pact. You know, he's, he's a massive influence. He's pretty much renowned as being the epicentre of what the, the whole morale around that dressing room. The players love him. So you've got the flip side of, is the trade-off of having an inferior goalkeeper, you know, worth it whenever he brings so much to other players? I mean, if we had got rid of Reina and brought in really, you know, then would certain other players' levels have dropped because they look and they see the guy who was such a leader in the dressing room walk out the door. So you don't know what the kind of... Imp- it's it's a catch-22. You know, yeah, you could, would really have been a better goalkeeper? Technically, yes. Would have maybe needed mm-hmm. time to settle in Serie A. But, you know, on the flip side, he's not going... He's, he's a young kid. He's, he's not going to be this big, bellowing leader in the dressing room. So... It's, I think, in that regard, and it was worrying whenever PSG were, were coming in with that bid of, I mean, seven million euros for a guy who's out of contract next season is very tempting. And the fact De Laurentiis didn't take it, I think, highlights exactly what he's been about this mercato. He's let no one go. He's knocking back offers left, right, and centre. So he senses that there is something going on. But I would have really liked to have seen a strength in maybe another centre back. And definitely another right back. I know we've brought in uh, Mario Rui, but we have lost Ivan Strinic. Is Rui better than Strinic? That's up for debate. I think it's much of a muchness. But at the right back, if we lose Hisai, it's Maggio. Now, Maggio's never been a right back. He's been more of a right wing back. Right. So he's getting on now. He's 35, 36. He puts in a shift when he, when he plays, you know, fair play came in against Atalanta because of his size red card. But, you know, it's the, the defense center back wise. Yeah. We're okay. We've got the kind of normal tried and trusted. I'll be all in Koulibaly, but 
it's it's the right back area that really does worry me. It's we again, Maggio, love him, great servant for the club, but mm, it's it's not a high end, you know, guy that can step in. It's if you look at Gulam and Hisai, there, there's no one of that level on either side that can slot in. And and that is concerning. The, the, it's great we've kept all the offensive players, we've added to the offensive players, we've brought Milik back from injury. That's great, but the the defence does worry me. And and I said first half against Atalanta. I mean, it was it was pretty distressing viewing for forty five minutes. James, uh, you, know, you touched a little bit about Pepe Reina. Let's go a little bit more into it because uh, mm-hmm. you and I talked about it this past week when we when it all signs seemed pointing that he was going to leave going to PSG. Yep. And, you know, I made the point that, you know, well, here's your chance again, another goalkeeper. Yes, he's breaking the pack, but you made a good point how, you know, how important he is to the locker room. And, you know, like you touched just a little bit here, you said that, you know, if he does go, how does the rest of the players react, you know? Uh, talk a little mm-hmm. bit more how much Pepperina actually does mean, despite maybe he's not the greatest goalkeeper in the world, but, you know, they made a pack and he is a team player. Yeah, exactly. As I said, he's, he's renowned as being the epicenter of that dressing room. I mean, you've seen as well the the videos on the the club's Instagram. I mean, there was the every time you look at it, it seems to be Reina and Jorginho for some reason. Although he's a quiet yeah. man on the field, Jorginho's a nutcase off it. <laughs> His Instagram is great viewing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, Reina is the, the the guy that's in there. He's. I mean, even if you watch on TV, you know, before the game, see if you watch the the footage in the tunnel. Marek Hamšík stands at the front. He's got the you know captain's armband on. He's got the kind of you know the flag, the, the the handover to captains before they shake hands and whatnot. But it's Pepe Reina who's going down the whole line, hugging and kissing each of his teammates. Yeah, you know he's 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 vital to that. So as I says, it's while he will let in the odd soft goal, he gets beat at his near post time to time. But on the flip side, he's capable of that incredible kind of save that he made against Roma. Yeah, you know, I mean. How he made that save, I'll still never know. It was that, that should have been two-two, but he, he puts it onto the post, so he is capable of 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 making you know great world-class saves. So I think it is just a case of you know we'll, we'll, we'll allow the odd soft goal and hope that we outscore the opposition to retain those leadership qualities. And a lot of Napoli fans don't like that. I have kind of debates to and fro with with some who are dead set against Reina. He needs to go. We're never going to get anywhere. We need a goalkeeper on the level of Buffon to win the title and all that. And I can understand that mindset that every championship winning side will start with a solid goalkeeper in back four. And, and you know, it's it's tried and trusted. You look at Milan, who, you know, they, they've also got Donnarumma for the future. They've obviously strengthened Rodriguez as a fullback. You know, bringing in these guys, you know, Conte. I mean, the fullbacks in Milan have got Rodriguez and Conte. I would love them at Napoli. You know, that, that's a kind of quality that you're needing in there if we had them as backups to Hisai and Gulam I'd be absolutely buzzing but um, Reina it's it's a, it's a, it's a catch 22 and I think it's this season especially we could not afford to have anything that would interrupt that whole pact I think it was what we had last season had to be encapsulated it had to be preserved over the summer to allow us to kick on the way we have and this, the scenes at full time with Reina, you know, he's he's in tears. And and I says to the guys on Sempre, uh, you know, we've got a, a Facebook chat and we kind of talk about the games and stuff like that during them. And I was saying, look at him at full time. It wasn't a normal, you know, just wave to the crowd and go down the tunnel. It was proper, you know, like doubling back on himself, turning around, walking backwards as if he was kind of surveying the curva for the final time. Right, I know, yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah. 
And it did, and I'm, I'm telling you guys, at that point, I says he is gone. He is away. Kissing you know, everybody he, in the in the in the locker in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on the on the field. He's cuddling Hamshik. He's cuddling Mertens. It was almost like a big goodbye, mm-hmm. and we were all set for it. And then the most bizarre thing: the next day, it was his wife who went on Instagram. I don't know if you guys seen this. His no. wife put a, a post out on Instagram going, "The boys are ready for the new season." And it was two junior Napoli goalkeeper kits, one orange, one green for for their kids. Huh? And I'm like, all right, so last night means nothing. He's actually staying. <laughs> it, you know, it just it, it threw everybody the fact that his wife went out and done this. So, you know, as it transpired that, you know, he did stay. There was also the kind of more cynical talk that he was only staying because, and these have been unconfirmed rumours, but... Paris Saint-Germain's offer expired on the Friday or something like that. So apparently there was never any chance of him going. So, you know, it, it was like a deadline. PSG had said, you know, right, we'll, we'll offer you seven million and we'll offer the player three and a half million per year until, you know, close of business on Friday. And if the player hadn't taken it, then that was it. But then, well, I heard that the game was on the Sunday. So... Why two days later would you be waving goodbye if the offer expired? So there was a lot of stuff flying about. Um, but he's, he's staying. Um, there's been talk that really is signed up for 2018. Rulli's agent has denied that. There's a lot of kind of complications in there because Manchester City are involved. They've got like a first option buyback. So we had to deal with them as well as Sociedad. And it's just my personal choice for replacement for Reina is Mattia Perrin. And it has been for ages. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, I was delighted to see him come back strong. He played a, I mean, the save he made from Higuain against Juventus was was incredible. Um, it was great to see him come back. You know, dual ACL injuries over two seasons, um, showing he's a, he's a really strong character to come back from that. Um, but I mean, Pepe Dane is here. Let's hope that we have managed to encapsulate that. We can put it behind us. The window is shut. Thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> the madness is over until January, whenever it yep. all kicks off again. But no, Pepe Reina, I think, it, to summarise, it's a catch-22. You have to accept you're going to ship some soft goals. You have to rely on the offence to, to bail them out. And then with that, you obviously get the great leadership qualities that go with it. Yep. Um, two more for me, uh, James. Uh, real quickly, uh, I want to start with with uh, one of Richard's man crushes in Serie A, Roberto Inglese. Near <laughs> uh, deadline day move, uh, brought him in and sending him back on loan uh, to Kievo. When I see something like this, which is a, a, a move that to me, when you look at Napoli's attack, is not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but when a move like this happens and you send him back on loan, it means they're probably bracing themselves for somebody to leave maybe as early as next season. Mertens and Insigne are locked up. So is it is it Callejon? Is it somebody else in this uh, in this Napoli team that uh, that maybe De Laurentiis is expected not to have next season? Um, well, I think if one of the two of those that you mentioned, Mertens and Insigne, were going to go, it would be Dries Mertens because yeah. he, ha- he has that clause that can be activated next summer. Um, Insigne, thankfully, doesn't have a release clause, which is fantastic news. <coughs> Um, but I mean, Mertens may go with Inglese. I, I was hoping, you know, if we were going to bring anyone in and put them back to their their parent club or their old club for a season, 
you know, would have been Berardi of of Sassuolo. He was the yeah. one that was that was linked for about a week, and it never transpired into anything. It is Inglese, or you know, it's Rab English as I call him in in Glasgow. Um, yeah, we, but say, we say Bob, we say Bobby English here. So yeah. uh, Rab English. Uh, yep. There's been kind of more cynical reports as well that you know perhaps De Laurentiis is bringing. Uh, Inglese in as you know it's not not a kind of tax avoidance but there's some kind of thing where the transfers to offset the tax that has to be paid on certain deals there was a tweet put out and it was possibly that Inglese has only been brought in because he can be sold straight away to basically make a profit to to kind of offset the the tax on the deals that we've done already so who knows what, what they're thinking I mean I don't know. It, it did seem a strange one whenever all we had heard was, you know, um, Berardi was going to be the man. De Laurentiis has talked about this Mr. X for God knows how many months and it's never come to anything. You know, starting, we, to sound like, starting to sound like Galliani. <laughs> Mr. X. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what the plan is with Inglese. There's, there's, I've seen another tweet that went out yeah, yesterday, a report that went out, and it said that he... There's a clause in the deal that allows Napoli to call him in in January if reinforcements are required. So, you know, it's just you don't know what the, the actual long-term plan is because you've got Aunas is in there, Jacarini still there. Jacarini, I think, is is the odd piece of the puzzle. I think we've tried to get you know get shot of him so many times. There was talk. I think it was Kievo wanted him. Um, we didn't want to cover any of his salary, so they've walked away from that deal. So, regards to Inglese, I mean, it would be good to bring him in and see what he can do. You know, if yep. he can make the step up. I mean, certainly, there's no harm in, in trying, but I think fans are a bit annoyed. There's this, you know, talk about De Laurentiis, how he hoovers up all the money. And, you know, one of my, my sempre co-hosts, Kenny Cifredi, um, he's he's right into his numbers and he's got a, a great tweet on his, his pinned tweet on his profile. His uh, Twitter profile is uh, Napoli Stats. And I suggest you guys check that out because he's got a spreadsheet pinned on there and he's literally worked out all the income and expenditure for the last two seasons, all the transfers, and you can actually see where the money has gone. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic detailed breakdown of all the, the money in, Champions League money, where it's went, Higuain money, where it's went. And, you know, fans are... No, fans are fickle. They, they just see Champions League money. 12 million coming in for Pavoletti, 22 million for Strinic, you know, and Zapata. You know, they, they just see pound signs and they're thinking, right, where's all this money going? But, you know, Maximovic still had an outstanding balance to be paid this summer. Marco Rog still had an outstanding balance to be paid as well this summer. We've bought Adam Aounas in. We've given new deals to both Insigne and Mertens and the tax situation as well in Italy where clubs have to pay 100% tax. So if you're giving a guy 3.5 million euros a season, that's costing the club seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you've people don't, people just see the basic numbers. They don't look beyond them and see the whole story. So, you know, De Laurentiis for me has delivered. You know, we, we've always talked about how De Laurentiis, he always sells his best players, you know, Lavezzi, Cavani, Higuain. We've all seen them come and go. But this season, fair play to him, he has batted away offers for, for Mertens, for Insigne, for Koulibaly, for Hisai, for Gulam. He's let no one go at all. So, you know, I think he's got to get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and again, and uh, we had Blair Newman in the preview pod, and he thought that uh, one of the, one of the you know, we'll talk about the transfer recaps one, later, 
but he thought Napoli was one of the real winners because they didn't let anybody go. You know, 94 goals from Serie A last season and everybody comes back. You, know, you can only expect that they're going to get better. And then you've got, you know, we, we talked about Alec Milik, uh, you know, you know, jumping into this equation as well. It's just going to be even more dangerous and <laughs> two Serie A games and six goals already. So, <laughs> exactly. um, and I said in my, uh, I said in my blog this week, I said they, they could break a hundred in Serie A this season and it wouldn't surprise me. So, Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, just devastating, to, devastating going forward and so fun to watch. And then, uh, the other one that I had here for you is, uh, you know, looking at the champions league, um, looking at the group, I, I commented last week, this is going to be the highest scoring group, um, in the group stage this season. And it's not even going to be close. Um, when you talk, I mean, in, in Napoli just peels the onion here, you got Manchester city, uh, with everything that they've got. Shakhtar Donetsk might not be what they used to be, but they still play, uh, attractive attacking football. They score goals, and you know, Feyenoord. Anytime you get a product from the Dutch league, that's that's what they do out there. They score goals. Um, you know, your thoughts on this? I mean, it's a pretty obvious, pretty obvious to say Napoli and Manchester City are the favorites to go through. Uh, do you see them? Uh, do, you, do you fancy the chances of winning this group over Man City? Yes, I mean, definitely. I'd, I've talked about this again with the guys on the podcast, and it's. It's looking at it, you know, we could have done far, far worse. You know, you, yep. you looked you looked at the group that had Bayern and PSG in it, mm-hmm. you know, the group that had Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund in it. So to, to get Shakhtar and Manchester City as your top two seeds, I think if you'd offered any Napoli fan that draw along with Feyenoord um, before the draw was made, I think they would have bit your hand off for it. It's it's a group. It's a group we can win absolutely. Manchester City, yeah, they've spent a lot reinforcing that defence. You know, I think it's like two hundred twenty million euro they've spent over a whole new back four and a goalkeeper. Um, but you know, the, the the pleasing thing for me looking at the fixtures of it is, and this was uh, Rafa from the the podcast as well from Sempre. He'd said this was his dream before the fixtures came out for the actual group. He said that he hoped we got Shakhtar out the way early away from home. And, and that's the way it's panned out. He's absolutely delighted with that. And I think most fans would be, you know, to get the trip to the Ukraine out the way, you know, you, you've you've got no worries about going into the kind of harsher winter months to yeah. take on to take on Shakhtar with that. Um, the, the double header is Manchester City, which again, you know, it's a kind of glamour tie. They're the biggest team arguably in the group. Um, I've been lucky enough to get tickets for for that one. Um, although I'll be in amongst the Manchester City fans with my Manchester United supporting brother-in-law, so that'll be fun. Um, but I've, I've managed to get tickets for that to go down there. So, you know, the Etihad, it's an intimidating arena, Premier League team, Pep Guardiola against Maurizio Sarri. You know, it's, it's it's a great test for Sarri. He'd said he wanted Mourinho at, at Old Trafford. Well, he's he's got he's got Guardiola. Um, so it's it's a it's a great group. It's a great draw. Um, we finish away to Feyenoord if I remember. So that that could be an interesting game as well. But if you look at all all the kind of teams in the group, it's it's just nice, big, imposing, intimidating stadiums. I mean, Shakhtar Donetsk's ground is is fantastic. We all know about the Etihad that's been recently expanded. The San Paolo's notorious for its atmosphere, and and the Decape is is no is no kindergarten. So. It's it's a, it's a great group, a very good draw for us. And if we can take the kind of form that we have shown last season and if we can learn lessons, and I think that's the important thing is to learn from the mistakes from the last campaign, mainly defensively, then there's absolutely no reason why. I mean, team, teams should be afraid of us, especially coming to the San Paolo. There's no reason yeah. why we can't win that group. 
Uh, this, I mean, the San Paolo has uh, the San Paolo has turned into the fortress that nobody talks about because everybody's all enamored with the J and how they've been unbeaten mm. there for so long. So, um, you know, just do us a favor when you go to that game, uh, tweet us afterward to make sure you got out alive. Uh, <laughs> well, so, well Man- Manchester uh, City fans aren't. You know, it's I think they're, they're, they're European tendencies aren't exactly always top notch. But I, I'm, I'm more afraid of the stewards kicking them out for cheering than I am of the Manchester City fans. So um, I, th- I think I'll just be sitting on my hands for that one. Although if City score, I suppose I've got to at least look interested at some point. But hopefully they don't score. That's the main thing. Quickly on this. Quickly on this. What's yeah? What's a what's a what's a reasonable expectation for Napoli in the Champions League? Um, I mean, can they be this season's Monaco and get all the way to the last four? Be you know, because there's always, I mean, the last four always seems to have one team that, you know, you think of the giants of the competition, and then you know, and, and then Napoli certainly sit in that, you know, next tier of teams. Um, you know, where Monaco sits, uh, you know, could they do what Monaco did last season? Are they capable of it? Uh, you know, what or what's a reasonable expectation for them in this competition? Um, I'm thinking last sixteen again. Um, okay. I think- yeah, uh, while on paper we could be, as you say, the next Monaco, unfortunately it's the, it's the defence. You know, the, the top tier players, your Ronaldo's, your Messi's, your Neymar's, you know, Mbappe's, all these kind of guys, um, they will always find a way through that that back four of ours. We've seen it last season with Ramos and, and it goes back to the point I made previously about, you know, it's it's about learning the lessons. If we can learn the lessons of the last European campaign, then, then who knows, but um, I think, unfortunately, the, the defence, as great as the offence is and as much as will be feared and no one will want to come to San Paolo, it's just it's those defensive frailties that I think will stop us from progressing from last 16 onwards. And whenever you look at some of the groups, I mean, it doesn't matter if you finish. I mean, we were unfortunate last year that we finished you know, top of our group, but Real Madrid, thanks to John 2-2 with Borussia Dortmund, managed to finish second and we got them but if you look through all the groups, maybe bar ourselves and maybe one or two others, all of the groups have got two absolutely incredible teams that will more than likely win the first and second place. So you're going to get a big hitter in the last 16 regardless. And I think, unfortunately, the defence is what's going to let us down. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to shift gears here from away from Champions League more towards the Italian national team, in particular uh names uh Jorginho and Amadou Diawara. Uh Frank and I were talking about last week. Um we've heard, you know, grumblings that both Jorginho and Diawara are trying to make it on the Italian national team. Uh what have you heard in regards to those two cuz I think those two would be great additions to the Italian national team because, you know, it is an aging midfield. You got De Rossi, um Marquisio, guys like that who are getting up there in age. You need a little bit more quality in there. Diawara is a fantastic young product, and Jorginho is solid there. So tell us if you heard anything and how you feel that would improve the Italian national team should that come to fruition. Well, all we know is that they definitely want to play for the Italian national team, um, but what they have to do to to persuade Ventura to play them, um, I have no idea. I mean, Jorginho is probably... They can show him the, the tape of yesterday's game. Yeah, yeah that, that, that messed game. up. <laughs> but uh, no, Jorginho I mean there was a point last season it was a, towards the end of the season and again this was Ken that came up with this I thought oh, shit, it was either two or three weeks in a row that Jorginho set broke and reset the Serie A pass completion record wow wow 
So, you know, it's it's crazy that a guy who is such a great retainer of the ball, so composed on the ball, I mean, his, his, pass, accurate, his, his pass accuracy is always in, you know, early to mid-90s. He's, I mean, if you look on who scored or any of these stat websites, you'll see his pass stats are, are absolutely through the roof. Um, and even from watching him as well, he very rarely gives away possession. He's very tidy. He's not a flashy player. He's not someone who will always you know, stand out. He's maybe someone who will disappear into the background, but what he does is he takes the ball and he holds it, he looks about, keeps it moving, just keeps it ticking over, and it's exactly what Italy were missing yesterday. I mean, De Rossi and, and Verratti are both expressive players, but they need some kind of foil in there, you know, someone like a Jorginho, and both of them were left isolated yesterday. You need someone in there like a Jorginho who is just an outlet. He'll sit in front of the back four, He'll break up attacks, he'll just take the ball, pass it on. And it, it's not a glamorous job, but it's effective. Um, and the same goes for Diawara. He, I mean, I'd mentioned at the start, you know, we talked about the interchangeable, you know, three in, in the middle of the midfield for Napoli, how each of the three replacements are almost like for like. And and Diawara is Jorginho's heir, so to speak. You know, he's he's the like for like for him. So to have two young, fantastic ball-winning and ball-retaining midfielders who are eligible and want to play for the Italian team and he doesn't use them. It's it's madness. Mm. Yeah, it's a year. And uh, each of them could have very well uh, uh, been useful in that uh, in, in the uh, defeat to Spain yesterday. And as long as we're talking about this, let's move on uh, to that mess in Madrid. Richard, fair to say we're going to give the Lega Serie A sound a week off. Yeah, give them a little break, you know, fine-tune their uh, material there. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys were, uh, if you if you Italian football fans are listening to us and, and uh, you weren't around yesterday or, you know, maybe taking advantage of some nice weather or you were, you know, occupied with something else, uh, it was Spain v. Italy, uh, level on points going in. Uh, a win for Italy would put them in command of the uh, qualifying group and would put them in position, you know, put them in position to control their destiny to qualify outright uh, for the 2018 World Cup defeat or a draw uh, in all likelihood with uh, Spain's superior goal difference, especially on the draw, uh, meant that Italy would be going through the playoff route. Um, so, uh it was a uh, it was an embarrassing display, uh, and that might you know that might be an insult to the word embarrassing. Three uh, <laughs> 0 to Spain. It was an Isco double, uh, and then uh, Alvaro Morata coming off the substitutes bench to score for La Roja. Uh, and uh, all you need to do is look at the team that Giampiero Ventura picked, and you knew that this was going to be a problem. Okay, the goalkeeper Gianluigi. Buff- I'm going to go through this. 4-2-4 formation, which is what Ventura has been going with, um, and decides to take his chances on uh, on playing this against against Spain. Buffon in goal, fine, no problem with that. Okay, right fullback, Matteo Darmian, who has not played for Manchester United this season, or at least I haven't seen him play for Manchester United. Uh, Andrea Barzali is one of the center backs, old and in the way. That's not that's Jerry Garcia's side project from way, way back in the day, but that describes Andrea Barzali's playing style these days and hardly gets out there for Juventus anymore. Uh, Leonardo Bonucci, okay, fine, regular in the team. Leonardo Spinazzola has not played for Atalanta this season. Uh, Daniele De Rossi in midfield did 
to even bother to watch his game against Inter last week. Uh, uh, Marco Verratti in midfield doesn't play in this system, plays for PSG and plays in a, you know, in a three-man midfield where he's used to you know, having position and being able to dictate things, and he had no one around him. Uh, and then they went with the, you know, attacking four, which, you you know, Lorenzo Insigne, Andrea Bellotti, Chirin Mobley, Antonio Candreva, in my opinion. You know, okay, fine, rightfully so that four of those guys get in the mix. Um, you know, James, I'll start with you. Did you look at this formation and say we're in trouble? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going to the Bernabeu to take on Spain with the attacking power <laughs> they've got and to play a two-man midfield, as I said, with no holding midfielder or someone who could, you know, get an anchor point in there, it, it's just madness. Um, it's not the venue to go. I mean, in Italy have always been renowned as being, you know, tactically, you know, savvy and, you know, the, the old cliche about, you know, the, the Catanaccio and obviously the Italian games moved on from those days, but Italy have always been great defenders. And I just think this formation that Ventura chose, it left, left Italy absolutely wide open. Well, this is apparently, apparently Ventura didn't get the memo because if you look back at what Conte and even Prandelli did, he know they knew they both knew against Spain you got to pack the midfield to be able to dictate the play and Ventura didn't do that and he got destroyed because of it because of his stupidity really his ignorance. Yeah, I mean I agree with that, but let me ask this question. Did maybe the coaching staff decide, hey, we've got nothing to lose. Chiellini's hurt. Um, you know, Romagnoli's hurt. These are guys that we normally rely on to have you know, in defense, um, we've got nothing to lose here. Spain is in control of the group unless we win the game. Let's put out a system that goes for it. Um, is there maybe, a, you know, maybe some thought to that? I mean, that, that's one of the things that I was thinking about as I was going through this. That, you know, this is the only reason we would go to this 4-2-4 formation and do it so early. Um, but even doing it so soon, and I understand that this is what he has played for much of the uh, World Cup qualification, you can do that against Liechtenstein, and you can do that against Israel, and you can do that against Macedonia. You can't do that against Spain. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and you, you, you know, I think that, um, and there was a back and forth I was having with somebody that were upset that Marco Parola was picked, um, you know, or was among the called up Azuri. You know, and I said, well, give me a reason why Marco Parola shouldn't be picked because his performances with the national team have actually been pretty good. You know, he hasn't given you a reason to be turned down. Uh, in the win over Macedonia, he was brought on as a substitute. They were struggling in that game, and he kind of helped get that midfield glued together, and it kicked Italy on to go on and win that game. Uh, I would have, okay, you want to do this? I mean, I, I would have not played a Mobile. I would have gone with a three-man midfield of, you know, okay, De Rossi and Verratti, fine. Uh, but Parola should have probably been playing from the start, someone like him. Uh I, I, Andrea Conti should have started over Matteo Darmian. Uh, I don't know who you could have. I mean, the, the Spinazzola issue. I'm not sure who else you could have put it left back. And then the substitutes were were even somewhat insulting. Ader, <laughs> I mean, you guys know my you guys know my feelings about him, but he's you see your he's, tweet, Frank. He's got <laughs> he's garbage. He's garbage. What do they see in this guy? I mean, seriously. And you bring him on as a substitute. I, I watched that. I turned the game off right there. 
they they took out probably the only good player for Italy yesterday, Belotti, and they yeah. put in Eder. What the? <laughs> Belotti was the only dangerous player in the game. Yep. You know, <clears throat> and Eder comes on, and oh. it's just like, well, great. He he doesn't even get any time for Inter. Belotti doesn't use him. I mean, and then uh, Benedeschi, he hasn't seen time for Juventus yet. You know, it was just, it was inept all the way around. Uh, you know, and you see the, the camera pan over to Ventura, and he's got this look of bewilderment and confusion on his face. And he said, don't do, don't do that. Stu- don't play stupid with us. You put out a dumb team. You pick the dumb team, and you're getting, you're getting your ass handed to you for it. Um, you know, and if, if you're going to say nothing to lose, take chances, then put Daniele Dugani in there over Andrea Barzali. Yes. Okay. Give him the, the – he's been solid for Juve. Give him the run out. You don't go with a 34-year-old man who wears cement boots. Just. <laughs> Isn't he like 36? 38? Something like that? He's old. He, he entered the league with Quagliarella or somebody like that. Old man oh. Quagliarella. Yeah. But let's not take it away. I mean, Isco was fantastic. Oh. He looked like Kaká to me. I mean, that's how good he was. He was fantastic. He destroyed Verratti on that one little touch play between the legs, nutmegged him, where they nearly scored, and it was 2 nothing. I mean, he was outworldly. Out- he was world-class in that game. How, how crazy are Real Madrid? How good are they that he can't get on the pitch for them? And you he's know? starting to come into his own, yeah. I mean, they got a good young team. and I mean, Spain's team looks good now. They said the youngsters they have, the Real Madrid youngsters they have. Oof. Yeah, that's the that's the thing as well. I mean, Real Madrid are extremely fortunate. If you look at Barcelona, who, you know, Messi is possibly you know in decline. He's not been as you know lethal as he has been. Suarez is injured. Neymar's away, and you look at Real Madrid, who have got Isco and Asensio, who are probably yeah. the the two top. I mean, Isco was was probably. And I don't know if you guys agree. I know it was painful watching an Italian team lose. Well, not so much for me being a Napoli fan, but um, Isco absolutely dismantled. Yeah, um, Juventus in the Champions yeah. League final, and it was very similar to that performance. You know, he, he glided across the, the glass, the, the, the glass. Well, the pitch was like glass, away he glided across it. But you know, it was he was effortless in his movement, and it was the same in the Champions League final. It was the same last night. He, he just appeared, you know, in little pockets picking up space, and he was absolutely incredible. You know, but is it perhaps that because of the lack of a midfield presence that he was able to find so much space in there? Yeah, I mean, it's part of it's probably both, really. I mean, Verratti did not help his help the cause at all. He was that was probably his worst game I've seen in the in the blue in blue shirt. Uh, but yeah, that midfield could not stop him, and he just had his way. It was just him pulling the strings, doing whatever he wanted. What led to Isco's free kick goal is everything you need to know about Daniele De Rossi and how the game has passed him by. Mm. Would you agree? I just out of position and then late and then just stumbled over the whoever he fouled and got a yellow card for him. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, the thing is, well, guys, and I know we don't like to point the finger at him because he's been such a great servant for the national team, but I've seen a lot of discussions to and fro about this last night. What did you make of Buffon's positioning for the... Poor. You know, the, he, Poor. He, yeah. He's put far too much faith in a very small wall. And, Honestly. Honestly, yeah. I thought I thought both the, the first two goals by Isco were poor positioning by um, by Buffon. I thought you know Donnarumma could have got both of those. Not saying that he's better than Buffon. I'm not. Uh, but I said position wise, he was off on both. I thought the third goal was something brilliant that Ramos and Morata had. But that first two goals, I thought positioning wise, he could have done better for sure. 
feels to me feels to me like he still thinks he's 30. Yeah. You know, in those situations and you know, still has some of that spring and still can you know, can can react and have those have the reflexes that that he that he possessed when he was a little bit younger. Um, I mean, hey, we're 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 putting a we're putting the greatest goal the greatest goalkeeper I've ever seen play to the sword here, but rightfully so. So um, it it stinks. Uh, uh, just uh, just frustrating all the way around. And I think that even when Richard and I looked at the called up authority, we had some problems with some of the players that were picked. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and thought this is, you know, an over-reliance on veterans who have a lot of miles on them. And I get that you need to have some veteran presence in the dressing room going into a World Cup qualifier like this. I think that Ventura picked too many of them. Um, and it's almost like he didn't even watch any Serie A the first couple of games. Like he mm-hmm. had his mind made up who he was sending to, the, who he was sending to Spain. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like to me. So, yeah. I mean, um, just, just just one other point to make out as well there, Frank. I mean, Lorenzo Insigne, who, you know, f- for us, he's he's lethal. But it was like a nightmare flashback to the Rafa Benitez days watching him yesterday. Yeah. I've, I have not seen Insigne drop so deep so often just to see the ball as what it was yesterday. Yeah. He 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 could not inflict his game. The, the no. Deep. That he's played, for, and he has been fantastic for Napoli so far um, this season. But he could not inflict that game in, into this. He had he had zero influence on the game. Um, you know, I I thought he like I said, I think Belotti to me was the only player that 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 posed any threat. He he forced a great save from De Gea in the first half. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but uh, it was um, just uh, just disappointing, just utterly frustrating uh, you know, for Italy fans. So. Um, but the pieces have to be picked up. They host Israel coming up. I mean, their path now to the World Cup is qualifying through a playoff because Spain is not dropping any points the rest of the way. Um, and uh, so the nice thing here is Israel—it's it's home. It's not at Israel, which is a little bit which is a little bit tougher to accomplish. Uh, Israel away usually is a difficult uh, qualifying fixture, but they get them at home. Um, they're coming off being beaten by Macedonia. Uh, James, what would you like to see change? Can they, I mean, I feel like they can just play this system they played in Spain. I feel like they could play it against Israel, but, uh, uh, do you see that? Or do you see Ventura reacting to this and deciding to finally get cautious? Uh, what do you think will happen? Depends how stung he is by the criticism really, doesn't it? And how stubborn he is. Um, if, if he's hell-bent on playing a 4-2-4 and he believes that's the way forward, then you know, it might be a, a case of he's stuck in his ways and he'll go with it, but he's got to look at the options around him, he's got to look at the Serie A, you know as you said there, you know, in an earlier segment there Frank, it's a case of does he even watch the, the club matches, does he watch Serie A at all, you know to identify formations or trends or players that are playing well because you go with that lineup yesterday you know, you mentioned that Conte could have played at right back you know, Conte, I'm sure the last season he covered at left back for Atalanta a couple of times, so he can play there. Mm-hmm. You know, so worst case scenario, you put him in there. You know, he's obviously going to be better than, you know, Spazzola that is in there. So I just, it was a bizarre one. I mean, I would love to see, I mean, can can we call up reinforcements at this time for the game? Is it, when being at home, obviously, the chance is there. Bring in not Jorginho. There was, well, they probably you know, could. I mean, not unless there was an injury. Chiellini got hurt, so. yeah. If it's a like for like, if you've got a gap in the squad, you can then rotate and bring someone in. 
you know, if you even were to drop out, I mean, the Mobley didn't play that well. We've all agreed on that. Even if you, if he was hell bent on staying with that, you know, as close to that squad as possible, you would take out Darmian and put in Conte. Maybe drop out Immobile, move it to a front three, bring Jorginho in to sit behind Verratti and De Rossi, and see how it goes from there. But just keep a den away from the squad, you know, as long as you can. It's just it depends on how how stubborn he is. He might stick two fingers up and go, "No, this is my system. I'll make it work. I'll make the players work in that system." And he might just go with it. Israel against that front four, I don't think. Italy will have any problems scoring goals against Israel with that that front four. It's not yep. so much of an issue. As you say, the only way now for Italy to qualify is through the playoffs. I don't think there's any danger of you know Italy being caught for second place. That that's as much theirs. But as I say, it just all depends how fickle Ventura is. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yep. Uh, Richard, how do you see the Italy Israel game going down now after uh, after what we saw in Madrid? Um, I think they're going to try to make a statement game of how trying to you know it, as bad as they were against Spain, they want to show that they're that was just a blip on the radar and they're not as bad as Spain made them look. Um, I think they're going to come out blazing and and try to score goals, and I think they will have will score because like like James was saying, that front four is pretty good, and Belotti was pretty was really good against Spain, despite you know no one else was. Um, I think he'll 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 definitely score, and Immobile, you can tell he's hungry. This front four definitely good, and you know, hopefully, we'll see what the lineup is for the you know the, the midfield and the defense. But um, it's got to be drastic improvement from what what happened for Spain for sure. Mm-hmm. The criteria for um, the the second it's nine groups, so the nine the top nine teams are all going to qualify directly, and then there's eight second place teams that uh, will be put into a playoff, and it's based on your performance against. Uh, the first, uh, third, and fourth place teams in your group, um, which Italy have not had a, you know, I mean, that's not going to be a problem for Italy. Um, so, uh, and I, I want to say maybe the fifth place team. So, you know, looking at the second place teams that uh, are currently in the other group, Sweden's in second in Group A, uh, Bulgaria and Netherlands still have something to say about that. Portugal are second by a mile in Group B. Hmm. Uh, Northern Ireland are second by a mile in Group C. Uh, Republic of Ireland and Wales are kind of tight for second. Ireland have it right now in Group B. Uh, Montenegro and Denmark are tied for second in Group E. Um, Slovakia second in Group F with you know Scotland and Slovenia about four points behind. Uh, Italy second in Group G. Greece uh, second in Group H, but Bosnia and Herzegovina is right there. Uh, Ukraine uh, second in Group I. So you know <laughs> they're going to be in a draw. And it's, you know, just running off those names, it's not going to be a picnic. Um, Denmark you know, beat Poland yesterday 4 nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, uh, we are all in agreement that uh, maybe Ventura said, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to stick to my 4 2 4. But we all said, you should have taken advice from Conti and, and Trandelli uh, and do what they did and flood that midfield and try to make things tight and uh, revert to the old Catenaccio tactics. So. Um, I talk about I, I, I talk about this game any further, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna burn my house down. So let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, we're gonna recap uh, the Mercato. All right, um, the uh, silly season is over with, and we can now focus on the football. Isn't that nice, guys? Oh, oh yes, man. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, 
nice to uh, you know have all the rumors and all the circulations, but then when you're just trying when you're trying to follow some things on Twitter, it just makes your head spin. You know, you go to all the different sites and they speculate all these different things, and you're trying to just dissect things and, and get to the truth. Um, you know, I think Richard and I are pretty comfortable in our assessment that Milan, as far as bringing in players, had the best transfer window. Um, you know, seeing seeing your world from the uh, uh, you know from the Napoli side of things, James, would that be some would that be something you would agree with? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the business you guys have done is, you know, un, un, it's incredible. I mean, Bonucci, Silva, Conte, you know, Rodriguez, uh, Musaccio. Kessie might just, be the best signing of all of them, really. I yeah, agree. Yeah, Kessie, I mean, that, that boy's a powerhouse. I mean, he was great for Atalanta last year. I mean, to, to bring him and Conte in from Atalanta, you know, it's you guys have strengthened all over the park. And, you know, while it might be a case of seeing if they gel, that they appear to have done so, you know, the first two games of the season. So, you know, and, and obviously taking Bonucci away from Juventus was absolutely hilarious. So <laughs> it just we know it was, like that. It was absolute absolute robbery for the price too. Um in a market yeah. where in a market where Neymar goes for two hundred and fifty million and then Milan can get Bonucci for forty. It's uh And they and they paid twelve million for Deshelio. That was probably more comical. That yeah. Yeah and I, I we commented on that. I said Fasoni <laughs> had to have smoked a cigarette after that one. Had to have. <laughs> the, the the Bonucci fee, though, the, the the reason why you guys managed to get him for that money is is simply because Bonucci and his wife refused to leave Italy. So see, yeah, this right, just yeah. this, this this goes to show. See, the second you remove the Premier League as a an outlet, the the price just comes right rocketing down. You know, you've you've yeah. removed I mean, La, La Liga as well, but the Premier League's where all the kind of stupid money is. And the 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 second that Bonucci put his foot down and went, I am not leaving Italy, Juventus were. But Armstrong, that was that. There was no no way. I mean, forty million for a player of his quality is incredible business. So, well, let's. I mean, let's quick talk about Juventus, and then we'll probably after this dissect a. You know, each of us can dissect a. You know, a winner or a loser in this mercato. Um, how would you rate the business that they've done? Uh, obviously, Bonucci out, Dani Alves out, but in our Blaise Matuidi, uh, Federico Bernardeschi, Douglas Costa. Uh, some of the more name-worthy. Benedict Hovedes there at the, uh, you know, at the end of the Mercato um, are the, you know, four maybe most uh, prominent signings that they've made. Uh, as, as someone that I think, you know, as James, as being the, a supporter of the team that will be the tightest challenger to Juventus this season, what do you make of their business in this, in this summer? <sighs> Without sounding kind of overly biased, it's not... It's not going to set the header alight. I mean, you look at they bring in Chesney as a goalkeeper. If if you'd asked any Juventus fan if if Chesney was either a requirement or the heir to to Buffon's throne, then I think most of them would have said no. You know, statistically a very good goalkeeper last season in Serie. I think he was second only behind Buffon for clean sheets. But you know, again, decent business. Um, De Scaglio, twelve million. You got Benascia come in by Munich. Matuidi, Paris Saint-Germain, they've, they paid to bring Quadrado in on a permanent basis. I think they had to pay twenty million out to him to actually get him on a permanent basis. And then you've got Bernardeschi at forty million now. Bernardeschi's a, done well for Fiorentina, but is he a, a forty million pounds player? Is he a starter? Right. You know, we all we all seen that Juventus's window has been. I don't know. It's, it's been almost comical. You know, that losing Bonucci, they had the big unveiling of Patrick Sheik. 
you know, they, they, they strung that boy along for God knows how long, yeah. paraded him as having his medical, and then they dump him on the scrap heap with this strange heart issue. Sampdoria say there's no problem, they'll do more tests, and then, you know, he eventually goes to Roma. But I don't know, for me, I don't, I mean, Douglas Costa as well, decent enough player. Um, they just don't seem to, they don't come across as having substantially strengthened you know that there's not any of those signings that you look at we look at Milan you know guys like Andre Silva coming in who's an absolute monster there's nobody there that I see Juventus that I go you know you look even last season they bring in Higuain a guaranteed 30 goal a season goal threat I don't see anything in Juventus's lineup there that makes me think uh, that's it's not a caliber above what Napoli and the rest of Serie A have been able to beat last season Richard how about your thoughts on Juve's window um, and it was a, very much along the lines of what James said. Um, yes, they did get some depth, but they didn't bring anyone that was that, was, that really shook your world. I mean, like like you said last year, you had Iguain and Pjanic came in, and you're like, oh, look at the, you know, Juve are back at it. This year with the signings, you're like, okay, they're gonna they're content with being level uh, where where they were last year, not trying to improve on what they what they were did wrong. You know, especially against uh, Real Madrid in the finals, they didn't, they didn't improve anywhere uh, drastically. So. It's an okay market. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen better, and I've seen definitely, I've seen worse. Um, so for what Juventus is, it's it's disappointing because you know you want for if you're a Juve fan, you want to build on you know last season. You don't want to be content with being what you did. Um, so I would give them maybe like a, a C, a C plus, you know, grading wise, just because it was okay. I mean, I like the players that they brought in, but they're not somebody that makes you step back and look like okay. They're they're serious, you know. So maybe 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 spoiled from what they did last season when they bought Pjanic and Higuain, yeah. and we all said they're, they've they've won the title again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, to this season where you, you to your you know kind of to your guys' point, it, it seems like they're buying was reactive more than you know proactive in trying to actually strengthen. So um, you know, the Dehuvidis one just puzzles me. You know, if you're Bringing along Rugani, I, I'm 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 wonder and because uh, I'm a big fan of his game, uh, I wonder how much that stunts his growth, uh, if at all. I wonder um, if it's more of they don't trust Benatia as much and Berzali, and they maybe we want to hoo this uh, Rugani and Chiellini back three or something. I mean, I don't know because Huvi this can play on the right right side or he can play anywhere really in the back four. So could I'm, be that. Could be that Licksteiner is showing his age, and and uh, they got uh, they realized they got they got robbed on Decilio. So yeah. well, remember Licksteiner didn't make the Champions League uh, team. I think the 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 list that they gave. So maybe that's what they want. Yeah, who's more dependable? And Javidis is definitely more dependable than Licksteiner. Yeah, yeah. James, were you going to say something there? No, no, not at all. No. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's start with a loser. Uh, in this Mercato, each of us will give a, a, a team or a player that we think uh, is a loser uh, in this transfer market as far as Serie A is concerned. Uh, James, we'll start with you. Who do you think uh, disappointed in this window? Um, Inter. Okay. Mm. Um, mm. I don't. I think sitting in Milan's shadow, they've also had the whole you know financial fair play thing thrown over them. Maybe the owners that came in, your son, came in last summer, didn't really use, you know, they talk about getting this free year, which obviously Milan are taking advantage of just now. You know, you're able to, to spend a little bit extra in your first year in charge. I don't think they've done that. Um, you know, the, the Gabby goal thing is well documented as being an absolute farce. He's off to, to Benfica now, isn't he, on loan? Yep. Um, so 
I don't think Inter have done, you know, the kind of business that would suggest that they would, you know, be title challengers. But watching them against Fiorentina in the first game of the season, they they were impressive. Icardi was was absolutely fantastic. He looked back to his best. Um, the header he got for his, I think, his second goal was absolutely incredible. Getting between the two the two yeah. centre backs, um, but just again, I mean, bringing in guys like Dalbert, it's a good signing. Um, you know, Cancelo, although he's potentially crocked on international duty, so th- there's been a couple of good signings in there, but they are very, you know, they, they do lack depth. I think they're a couple of you know bad injuries away from being caught really, really short. You know, as well as Juventus have went out and they've not brought in massive names, but as you guys said, they've brought in depth. I think it's depth that might catch Inter out. So I think, you know, you see Inter fans on Twitter, they're kind of loggerheads with each other. You know, some are saying, you know, defending Sunning, some are against them, you know, saying that they've been lied to over the summer, that they were promised that we would spend money. You know, we've all seen the hashtag at the start of the transfer window, you know, Inter is coming. Uh, yeah. You know, well, sorry, but Inter never came. So, um, for me, they're they're definitely the the biggest letdown, I think, for the for the summer mercato. And, and an injury to any of those front three, Kandreva, Perisic, uh, Icardi, is going to be a huge problem for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan, Jan Karamo doesn't strike me as a guy that can just jump in there and assume the things that Kandreva does. So, um, not that it's not that I think they ex- Inter should be expected to you know, bring anybody to do what he does or do what Perisic does. But certainly uh, that is a, that's a pretty significant drop off. Um, it's an inter- interesting viewpoint there on Inter. Uh, uh, Richard, how about you? Give me a loser in this Mercato. I'm going to go with, um, and Laura Bradburn, please you just walk away at this point. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Fiorentina. Um, they lost a lot of talent and who did they bring in? You look at you know, they brought in Simeone, which is, which is a good signing. I like, he's a good young player. Benassi, he's a good young player. Uh, but then you got players like Gil Diaz, Eseric, Baragi, Bruno Gaspar, Victor Hugo. Um, that's not, they're not replacing people they lost. They're, they're, it's a step down. I think they're going to regress this season, unfortunately. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll help Pioli because he doesn't have as many egos on the team now. I don't know. Um, but I just think Fiorentina for what they've done this summer is, has been very disappointing in my eyes because you would have thought they wanted to improve on last year, uh, especially with a new manager and it looks like they're regressing. Do they give you the feel that they're a watered down team because they're for sale? Very similar to what yeah. Milan was made up of mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. Good point. Yep. Um, I mean, I think that the Fiorentina, you know, and we've talked about this a lot already, Richard, I think that for Fiorentina fans, it's just kind of, you know, sit in that dentist chair and take the drill here for the next few months. Um, but that it has the ability to be a better team in the second half of the season, as long as the faith is kept in Pioli and as long as the time is afforded for some of these players to come together. Because you know, I, yeah. quite, I, I quite like Isaac from, uh, you know, he was solid for Nice last season. Um, you know, and they've got Chiesa, who they're going to lean on, obviously, a lot more. Uh, yes. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, they're not the guys that departed. You know, so, you know, the drop-off is inevitable and, you know, they're sitting 20th in the table right now, albeit after two games, uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, but it's a team, it's, it, it, they're, they're the, they're the epitome of going to get worse before it gets better. Um, so, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm in agreement, uh, I'm in agreement on Fiorentina to that respect. Uh, my loser is Udinese. Um, yeah, especially at the end last day. Yeah, I mean... 
they okay, Scoofet's in goal. He's solid, but they they parted from their defense, uh, the center of their defense, both of them, uh, Thomas Hartel and Felipe, um, who, you know, they don't remind you of uh, Bonucci and Chiellini or or even or Baresi and Maldini, but they have considerable experience in this league. Uh, and you parted with both of them, you know, without really getting anybody that that gets you that gets you all fired up. Uh, Nightink might end up being a decent player for them. Uh, the uh, center back that they brought in out of Anderlecht. Uh, but as far as, the, the, you know, the business they did here, um, you know, I could have argued uh, and did argue before the season that this is a team that, you know, could be in the top part of that bottom half, that 11th, 12th, and they've probably gone from that, you know, to being in a, to being in a relegation fight. Um, you know, so there's some, uh, there's some real concerns with the business that they've done. They parted from uh, Cyril Terrell and they let him go for, cheap he's over at Fiorentina and I get it he's 34 years old you're not going to get a lot for him uh but he was your double digit goal scorer for the last couple of seasons um they lost you know, Zapata you, too yeah and you know Duban Zapata's you know loan expired <coughs> you can't get me excited about Maxi Lopez at this stage in his career <laughs> to be that replacement uh Valon Barami will give the midfield a little bit of solidity I think we made the comment in the in in one of the previous pods that he'll at least teach all those young midfielders how to go out and pick up women. <laughs> yep. Um, Models, yeah. Yep. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm looking at their team and I, 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 they go from maybe being an 11th, 12th, kind of a, you know, a thorn in everybody's side to a team that's going to really have problems sorting things out. And you only need to look at the first two games of the season with them, zero points and five goals conceded. It's going to be a real process for them. Can they recover in time to, uh, you know, to survive comfortably? I think they will. Uh, but for me, Udinese was my loser in this Mercato um, out of, uh, you know, out of all of the teams. So uh, let's move on to winners. Uh, James, uh, give us a winner in this Mercato. And you can't say Napoli. No, it's got, it's got to be Milan. Oh, besides Just... Milan. Let me, let me rephrase. <laughs> we, know, we, know what Milan, we know what Milan did. We know what Milan did. So, well, uh, I mean... Okay, we'll have joint winners in. I know you said you can't mention them, but I mean, I mean Milan and Napoli for for different reasons. Milan for obviously bringing in the amount of players they did, um, and the, the kind of quality of player they've brought in, and, and Napoli for obviously you know being able to keep a hold of of their best players, which has been something that we've struggled to do for for the last two, three, four years. Um, but no, I think those are the two standouts for me. I think Milan and Napoli just for the. Both for different reasons, but as I say, the business that Milan's done, I think, would just edge them ahead. Milan have strengthened all over the park, every every area. As I said already, you've got Conte and Rodriguez, you know, as the fullbacks. You've already got Donnarumma and goals. You've got a solid base there to build on. Guys like Kessie in midfield, you know, Andre Silva up front. It's just it's you guys have had a a very very good Mercato, and if, <laughs> if players gel, um, Montella has got one hell of a team on his hands. Yep, uh, you know it's. Uh... Hard to hard to turn them down as a winner, but Richard, let's uh, take off our red and black glasses uh, and uh, okay. give, a, give us yeah, <laughs> give us another give us another winner. Okay, I got two honorable mentions before I say my winner. Um, I thought Torino did some sneaky good business. Yeah, they added Brincon, who is a solid midfielder, and Berenge. Um, but I think what they needed to do was strengthen their weakness from last year, which is obvious, which is defense and goal. Bringing in Encolu and bringing in uh, Salvatore Sirigu. Uh, were big improvements, I thought. Uh, Sirigu is definitely better than Hart. I mean, just look at Hart's doing over there in, in England. Um, and then Colo, he, look what he's done the first two games. And I think they've allowed only one goal. 
So that's an honorable mention for me. And also for me, newcomers, Spal. I thought they've been really good. They, you know, they got Poloski, they got Borriello, who's a 15 goal scorer every year, it seems, no matter the age. Um, and they got players throughout that midfield. They got Grassi, Viviani, Rizzo, and in the back, they got Felipe and Oikunomanu and Merritt, Alex Merritt, you got in goal. So, um, they did sneaky good business. And I think that, that, that deals that they made were gonna, it may actually help them, you know, survive this season. Um, but for my winner, I'm actually go, gonna go against what James said, complete opposite. I think it's gonna be Inter. Um, <laughs> they brought in Borja Valero, Mateus Vecino. I do like the Dalbert signing in Cancelo. Um, they didn't, it's nothing that was great. I mean, compared to Milan, it's, it's apples oranges. Um, no way you're gonna be able to compete with Milan with what they did. Uh, but they brought in decent players. I, I like Borja Valero a lot. Um, and I thought, you know, players that they brought in, and they got the player they got rid of, more importantly, Condogbia. Um, it would just make a way to stabilize a toxic team that was last year. Icardi is back to you know the top of his game, and that front three is just amazing. And they need a little bit more. They didn't. Have, they don't have the depth. I agree with that. Uh, but the players, I do like the players they did bring in. I think it's going to help them with Spalletti to stabilize it and make them a contender in the Champions League this year. I I, I like that. I like the shout on Torino, and I think another. Uh, Another big win for Torino was Andrea Belotti is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so, definitely, definitely. You know, he was widely discussed as somebody that was going to be on the move. Nobody in, in Urbano Cairo, to his credit, stayed stubborn. This is my valuation of him. This is what you got to come up with. Yeah. And Milan tried with 70 plus Paletta and Yang and said, nope. Oh, they got Niang too. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, they did. They got, Torino did get Niang. So I, I like the shot on Torino. I like your, I like your case on Inter. Um, my winner, if it's, you know, Milan's obviously, uh, you know, obviously the winner of this Mercato here uh, in Serie A, but, uh, if we go, if we go the next, if we go to the next level after that and you want to find another winner, I really love what Sampdoria did. Um, and, uh, you know, getting, they did excellent business. They, they, they knew they were going to be parting with Patrick Sheik and got 42 million for him, which. They, which is higher than what they were originally going to get from him, between twenty-five and thirty, when Juventus and Inter were slap boxing for him. Yeah. Um, you know, getting him, getting him off to Roma for forty-two million. Uh, they got good money from uh, Sevilla for Luis Muriel, Bruno Fernandez to Sporting Lisbon. Uh, you know, those departures, and they made very good replacements. Uh, Gaston Ramirez is better than you think. Uh, yes. Set aside his troubles at Middlesbrough. Um, he just comes in and assumes what Bruno Fernandez was doing. Uh, you know, Gianluca Caprari was a decent forward on an awful Pescata team last season. Mm-hmm. Um, he can he can step in and do some work. They got Duvan Zapata uh, from Napoli uh, and uh, Ivan Studenic from Napoli. So they did some really nice business to strengthen the team. And then, <clears throat> you know, to to go a little bit further, and then they got good money from Milan Skriniar from, from, from Inter. But to go a little bit further, Lucas Torreira is still there. Carol yes. is still there. Yes. Um, this is a, you know, we talked about Sassuolo. We talked about Atalanta in seasons past they, that they sneak in and grab these European places from, from the status quo. Um, Sampdoria are, have every bit the opportunity that, that Atalanta and Sassuolo have done in previous seasons. Uh, I would also say Torino is in that conversation as well as the two teams that uh, you know, could really rock the apple cart here, uh, you know, and deny someone like Alasio uh, a European place uh, next season. So 
Uh, I think they're an interesting team to watch, and I think they're going to be a very painful team to deal with uh, throughout the season. And this is coming off uh, them having an excellent second half uh, in Serie A as well uh, under Marco Giampaolo, who's who's proven to be a pretty good manager too. So, um, you know, they're, I, I'm not crowning them Scudetto winners or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, really, really like what they've done here. Uh, in this window, moved on from players, got a lot of money for them, brought in reasonable targets that uh, can come in and can do the job. So um, not like Fiorentina, who, you know, moved on from some very good players. They had to replace them with players that don't get you as excited. So um, so that's my winners. Your winners and losers in this Mercato, uh, go to at Syria Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram and give us your thoughts. And with that, we'll put a bow on this edition of the Syria Sit Down. Uh, let's do a uh, social media check and uh, plug of the work. And James, we'll uh, start with you. Where can everybody find you on Twitter? And uh, take a minute or two here to plug uh, some of the things that you're up to. Yeah. Okay, Frank. Uh, well, we've actually rebranded recently. We went from just being Sempre Podcast to Sempre SSC Napoli. So that's now the new Twitter handle. It's at Sempre SSC Napoli. Okay. Um, we've had a, a lot of changes you know we've listened to our listeners um over the last kind of six seven months since i was last on the show you know we were asked for shorter shows we were asked you know for increased audio quality um a shorter intro just a daft wee thing but we're always you know listening we've chopped the intro down from like a minute 30 to 25 seconds which just it's about you know listening experience making things better for those guys um we now all got new brand new mics new recording equipment so the shows in you know high fidelity audio We've added new um, hosts to the show. We've got Kenny Cafredi, as we mentioned. We've got Marco D'Onofrio of Stereo Serie A. He'll join us from October. Um, okay. He's the, the fifth yes. member, so so he's coming on now. You know, big Napoli fan. He'll bring a wealth of you know podcasting and Napoli knowledge to the table. Um, so we've also opened up our store. You can get you know bespoke Napoli designed you know t-shirts, caps, hoodies, you name it. It's on there. That's at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash sempre. Or if that's too much, it's on the bio on the Twitter page. So. We've been really, really busy um, just improving it. You know, we've got a new logo now, which, you know, just gives us our own identity, our own brand, you know, just lets us get Sempre out there. Um, so if you are an Napoli fan, you want to hear us talk Napoli, we've also launched, you know, the brand new Express show, which is basically rather than news coming out on a Monday and waiting until the following Sunday to talk about it, if there's two or three of us available, we'll just go on and record ad hoc talk about it 10 15 minutes put it out there um, and those have been very very popular we've had four of those in the last week they've been downloaded over a thousand times so um people are obviously you know tuning into those so you can get us at simply ssc napoli or you can stream all of our shows at um simply podcast.podbean.com awesome awesome and uh as always uh james uh you you you've earned your second cap uh with the <laughs> sit down, so congratulations on that and uh uh, I, I I assume that uh, before the season is over, you will complete your hat trick of uh, appearances. So uh, we do hope to have you on again before the season is over. Oh, anytime. Absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for having me again, guys. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Richard, uh, how about you? What are you up to? Uh, well, these days, um, writing a little bit more. I uh, wrote, a, wrote a little uh, blog on for uh, SB Nation on the Milan side, uh, delving into the uh, Milan Primavera side. So I wrote a little article about uh, Luca Vido, even DeSantis, and... Uh, John Philip, John Filippo Felicioli. Um, but also World Football Index. Um, I did a player profile on uh, Davide Calabria, uh, who's in the Grande Fifty. 
So I check that out on World Football Index. Um, other than that, you know, the guys can follow me as they know it at R underscore Carmen, K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Awesome. And you can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, latest uh, Calcio Consultant blog came out uh, giving my two-week takes on every team in Serie A. Uh, so, uh, you know, go have a look at that and where I think teams are at, what maybe they need to do. Uh, this week, um, I'll, I'll, I'll write a few words about Serie A again. Uh, not, not sure what. Uh, I'll, something will come to my brain and I'll write about it. Uh, and then, uh, just as always, I'm here on the Serie A sit-down. So, uh, at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. So, um, again, uh, special thanks to uh, James McGee from Sempre SSC Napoli uh, podcast for uh, joining us uh, to talk a little Partenope. Uh, I want to thank all of you listeners uh, for your loyalty and tuning in to us again this week. Uh, and as always, uh, please be sure to tell your paisans about us. Ciao.